Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What a morning we've enjoyed of Premier League action on Optus Sport. David Wiener with you for another episode of The Gagginpot where we'll go through all the highs and lows. Headlined, of course, by Chelsea's 2 all draw with Arsenal. I'm joined by Michael Bridges and Ashley Westfoot. We've got a cracking chat ahead for you. Let's get started. Yeah, belated Happy New Year to all our listeners. Great to be back with you on The Gagginpot. Thanks to Rich Bayless for filling in for the last couple of weeks. And what a morning to come back to. Michael Bridges, Ash Westwood, we have been in for a treat in the Premier League. Six fixtures we've had this Wednesday morning. And we must start with Arsenal 2, Chelsea 2. What a game. Absolutely incredible. What a great way to wake up, Dave. There's nothing better than having your breakfast, watching Premier League football, and we had some action. And that was the the pick of the games, obviously. And I was really upset in the first 15, 20 minutes, thinking this is going to be terrible. And then David Luiz, back at Stamford Bridge. The moment that changed the game, I thought it was fantastic. (laughs) And what happened? Sometimes you go back and you score goals against your old clubs, and you're a hero for the, the away fans. But this was perfect harmony for the Chelsea fans. They absolutely loved it. He had to make a decision. He fouled. And the penalty was awarded and off David Luiz had to do that lonely walk over Stamford Bridge. It must have been horrendous. But what a game it was after that. Outrageous, really. You think uh, he's been sent off twice now, hasn't he? He's sent off for Chelsea against Arsenal. And now obviously sent off for uh, Arsenal against Chelsea. Um, I do remember when he went, uh, you know, the new staff went in at Chelsea start of the season. And I think they were uh, delighted that they managed to offload David Luiz. They thought he was a little bit of a liability. And obviously... Uh, he proved that again. He looks lazy. You know, he, I'm a centre-half. I've played it, obviously, for years. And you see when uh, the back pass is coming, David Luiz is just not covering his, his partner, if you like, just switching off, ambling, and then obviously has to sprint and recover and, and messes it up. So uh, normal David Luiz. But what I would like to say is the, um, the way the game ended, Tammy Abraham goes down and he just think naivety. Chelsea just kicked the ball out. All he had to do was kick it out. He was down. He ends up getting back up. And the ball just seemed to be in play for about three or four minutes and obviously the sucker punch, Arsenal score and you can just feel what Frank Lampard will be thinking being an experienced player or experienced you know, in that position. You want your leaders on the pitch saying just kick the ball out and what a nightmare for him to, uh, to end it like that. That's that game management, isn't it? Known, known at that moment in the game, three subs had been used. They couldn't bring off Tammy Abraham so he's hobbling around from hitting the, the Hordens behind the, behind the goal when he had a slide in. And I think it was Emerson had the ball. They, they had a, it's a they're, couple trying, times, they're still yeah. trying to play, just lo- yeah. launch it, get rid of it, let them get treatment, kill the game. That was naivety. Now, I think that comes with having a young bunch of players as well. For sure. But, you know, I think back to my career, and I remember if you're winning 1-0, 2-0, whatever, if anybody ever crossed the ball, I would run after him and almost punch him. <laughs> be like, just just hold it in the corner, hold it in the corner by the corner flag. And it, it winds you up. You can see it as an experienced player, but... Chelsea, that's uh, what's been costing them all season, that inconsistency with the young lads. In this game, Dave, it was almost, you could have kind of predicted it bar the red card. It's terrible defending from Arsenal. It's a howler at the back from Mustafi. It's David Luiz getting sent off. 
And it's Chelsea unable to score goals with their front players and kill game to kill the game off. So you've got you know you've got um, Aspilicueta scoring and getting it two one up. Uh, squandered chances by by Chelsea to try and kill the game, and they've, they've allowed an opportunity at the end to get to get the draw. And it was um, for me, it was lack of shots on target or lack of golden chances created by Chelsea, which they've really struggled with. Need a striker in, and Arsenal. Um, really poor at the back originally, but I'll tell you what, Arteta has given them a new lease of life in regarding resolve, mm. having a winning mentality, to uh, a drive now, and a desire to wear that shirt and play for the fans and themselves to get them not, not throw the towel in. If that had been Unai Emery managing, and they went down 1-0 with the penalty in that first half with 10 men, that could have been 4-5-0 to Chelsea. But because it's Arteta and the belief that's in that dressing room, that's a massive difference. Too right, you've unpacked that perfectly because it was a game that almost had every possible uh, stereotype of these current teams come to life and that includes Louise. So much to unpack and I'll continue with what you just touched on Bridgie is the Arteta effect. To have galvanised a side to go on and get a point, one of your fierce rivals Ash, when your defender has gone off for a kamikaze challenge with an hour to play and all things should say the floodgates should open yet you go away with a point. Arsenal may well look back on this day as a turning point not even in their season, in Arteta's tenure. Yeah, I think so. Um, and all the good signs are there. You know, they're definitely going to improve. They have improved. And it just shows you what, like, a hands-on manager can do these days. You know, you, you get different moulds of managers. You get the one that sits in the dugout, like Van Gaal, who, who doesn't get up on the sideline and, and doesn't drive things at overseas training and let his assistants do the thing. But I'd said to you, you can see, like Pep Guardiola, he's hands-on, he takes the sessions, he drives things, he's, he's the is the... The focal point of that team and it's infectious and everybody's picked up the game because you can see it in the coach and you can see that passion and drive that he brings and, and that's the difference the work rate has improved you know attitudes improved and really that should be a given in a football club but it just shows you that that little bit of difference a, a front manager can bring Arteta is the first Arsenal manager that has managed to make it on the Opta stats for distance covered in this game. It was unbelievable. <laughs> this is with his arms flapping up yeah, and down as well. It was incredible. Well. I should just talk about it. He was directing everything and he was doing doggies left and right. You know, we also um, Wenger. He was very animated, but he never did the doggies. And Unai Emery was just mental. And But Arteta had the passion there. It was great. Now, I wonder where he got that from, by the way. Now, speaking of, I mean, you talk about what they're able to do in this game with just two shots all game two shots two goals you mentioned uh, Lampard a bit earlier Bridgie and and the stereotypes they've played 12 games at Stanford Bridge in the Premier League under Frank Lampard they've won just five they've scored 16 they've conceded 12 in and amongst four losses and three draws it's not good enough and I wonder Ash if you were in Frank Lampard's position right now um Where's your head at? What are you thinking? Chelsea fans will be mighty relieved that there's no one banging down the door for that fourth spot because the Blues aren't doing very much to hold on to it. Yeah, I think um, obviously Frank Lampard's going to get more time because he's such uh, a legend at the club and obviously the, the transfer embargo that he had and he's bringing all these young lads through. So that's going to give him a bit more time. It's, it's quite interesting that you see the amount of games that Chelsea have lost and the amount of games that Man United have lost. I think Chelsea have lost one more than Man United. Um, but Solskjaer gets hammered to say like he should be getting sacked. He should be, and, and Lampard doesn't. Um, and it just shows you the contrast, really. Of, of I know Solskjaer's a legend as well, but because there's been so much turmoil at Man United and that transfer embargo at Chelsea, Lampard's getting a bit more 
you know, lenient press than, than what Solskjaer is. But Plus he's had longer Solskjaer as well. Yeah, exactly. This is Frank's first season and he's relatively a, a new manager. Solskjaer obviously was at Cardiff and then at Moldy, so I think he's, the pressure's building on him. Um, but, you know, Lampard, he spoke about it. It's just that finer quality. They, they really miss Pulisic. Um, you know, he's gone out of the team scoring goals from wide. They haven't really got anybody else that can score those goals. They get the one or two out and they haven't got, you know, they've got a Tammy Abraham who they're massively relying on for goals and they need somebody else in that front firing line. But it's, it's you know, it's money. You've got to spend 100 million if you're going to affect, you know, the goal scoring capacity charts. They, they might spend Bridgie, but if they don't, or, or even if the, the right man doesn't come in, can you see a switch flicking for Lampard that he can actually get out of this sort of, you know, pretty ordinary attacking cutting edge in the final third? I think the fact that nobody's really had a, a stride to get that fifth position yet. They've got a six-point buffer. That's a nice little thing to have. I know United have got a have got a, a game to come by the time we finish doing this podcast, so we'll see how that how that goes. Um, I do think they've got to spend because they'll be in, in trouble. They've got a young set of lads. You showed a little bit of naivety to, today. Yes, they've been fantastic, but towards the end of the season, I experienced that with Leeds United when we did fall by the way, so we didn't know how to finish off a season in style. We lost our way a little bit and I think that was um, down to the manager not having the nous as well of being in that situation before and David O'Leary Frank Lampard is in this similar situation identical situation in fact with this young set of lads and he's got the inexperience of these managerial career so it's going to be very very interesting I think you, you're a fan you've got to sign the striker <laughs> yeah 100% hopefully the Cavani money comes in but I'm also kind of worried that you, you know I think uh, William Hudson-Odoi uh, even Aspelaqueta Emerson that I could have kept trying to cross all day long and I'm not sure anything would have necessarily hit the mark. Yeah, it's just, you know, they, they haven't got any other option than, than Abraham, have they? Um, and then added onto that, again, we keep going back to it, it's the inexperience of the side. You know, they, they concede a 94th minute goal against Newcastle only a, a few days ago. They concede an 87th minute goal against Arsenal when the ball should have been kicked out. And it's that experience that they'll learn from and, and obviously next season they'll be in, in a better place um, because they'll learn from these lessons but you know you need goal scorers you need options but you also know you look at Man City take company out of that side and Man City are struggling at the back because it's not just him on the pitch it's the leadership skills around the building I'm going to pick on two people now just to end off this chat Kepa two shots two goals on another day would have saved both but he's not having that day at all at the moment and what is that 80 million pounds worth world record at the time Tell you, he's made a few few errors. That last, I think, was the last game where he should have saved at the mm-hmm. Newcastle with the two hands on the ball. You've got to be. I mean, De Gea's made a lot of mistakes for Manchester United this season, but Kepa, Kepa, it's creeping in. And if that's what eighty million gets you, I'll tell you what, Nigel Martin must have been worth one hundred and ninety million back in my day. Well, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, goalkeepers, obviously, uh, around the world, you could probably name five. Uh, something like that you think I'd have him um, and it's all such a specialised position and obviously with the technique that you need with your feet these days you know they're hard to find and they cost you fortunes now the other one I'll t- you touched on uh, Louise you went all in on Louise before but we can't let Mustafi get away scot free as well I mean if Ian Wright said on the coverage we can't get rid of him we have to keep playing him because there's no one else but surely if Arteta's going to do anything he just needs to get some, a body in so he doesn't have to play Mustafi Again, it's uh, it's 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 tough. Everyone will, will know Mustafi's not doing that well, but you have to get someone that's better that's going to go into that first eleven. You can't just sign someone for the sake of it. I think that's the position, like what Chelsea are in, that they're obviously no they need goals in wide areas, but you need to get somebody that's going to 
be better than what you've got. Um, and Mustafi, you know, a centre half these days will cost you hundred million if you like for a for a, a top top one, a Van Dyke mould. And you've got to try and find them. Uh, they need to be reliable, no mistakes. You know, you get judged on what mistakes you have. But with Mustafi, you know, he give the ball away four or five times in the first half, and you know, very very sloppy on the ball, and and just his his demeanour looked a little bit off to me. Complete liability. Arteta should be playing himself in his position and just being like the old. Lo- well, I made a comeback at the weekend, didn't I? He could have me. I've oh, yeah. from I was no, going to no, say, I've, I've seen that footage. There's no way Arsenal are signing you. Hang on, after seeing. Oh, can I say. I won't say I see you in full flight. Were you half flight, three quarter flight? You look pretty good on the weekend in the Football for Fireys game, Ash. How'd you pull up, by the way? I was, I was going to say stiff as someone then, but I have to change it, obviously, uh, recording. But I was very, very <laughs> stiff. Um, ironing board, if you like. Uh, just about recovered. And what are we on now? Wednesday or something <laughs> like that. Uh, four days afterwards, but maybe something to do with the uh, the carb intake after the game. Didn't <laughs> it was a great afternoon, though. I was fortunate to be down there uh, to watch Wollongong Wolves play Albion Park City Football Club. There's a, a, a nice feature on the Off the Sport app. We can see Luke Wilkshire, who was very involved in the day with David Carney, Scotty Chipperfield as well. Um, as you're looking as fit as anyone on the field though, I'll just put it that way once you see a few of the other boys on in, in that video. Can I just ask, ask you a question? Who was the man of the match in your team? Who was the standout? Who still um, got it? To be honest, I think Gavin Ray. Um, yeah. he, he, he'd never give the ball away. Um, you know, had a good range of pass, always come and got it off the back four and he, he looked like he was coasting. Uh, I think he plays a bit in the vet, so he probably keeps himself ticking over. He was decent. Corrigan was good. Uh, looked fit and got around the pitch. And obviously I was outstanding. <laughs> and did Luke Wilkshire get a hat-trick? Because when he walked off the field, it looked like he had a ball under his shirt. No, that was uh, his centre-forward, I think. He stuffed under his shirt. He kicked about five of them. Nearly broke one of the legs. And, uh, uh, Luke, was, Luke was too busy refereeing at the same time really? while he was playing. So it was a great day. Robbie Farrow was actually, he had a fun day out too, scoring and assisting. And I think uh, the one person who looked like he could probably still be running is Brett Emerton. So... Terrific day out by everyone had there. Now, today's game showed that Liverpool might be running away with it, guys, but there's so much to still focus on in the Premier League because the top four race is nowhere near done. And some results today that show that the bottom half of the table is as interesting as anything. Bournemouth, that was such a needed win against Brighton because now they've been, Aaron Moy, Matt Ryan, they've been lured into this uh, race down the bottom for for relegation with uh, Bournemouth's win there. Aston Villa. That is a huge six-pointer against Watford that they enjoyed as well. And if you go up to, say, Burnley in 14th place down to 20th, Burnley are on 27 points and Bournemouth in the relegation zone are on 23. So it is so, so, so tight. What do you guys take out of this morning if we talk around the relegation side of things? Well, the relegation side, I take out of that. Bournemouth needed this. It was a massive result. I, I couldn't see that coming, actually. Um, I really thought Brighton would go there and, and do something. Mm. Aston Villa up against Watford, who have been incredible form. When Watford went one up, Troy Deeney again. That's his, I think he's six and four games. He, unbelievable. And finally, Villa showed something that they can get out of trouble. They've had injuries and they had Rainer in goal. That could be the sign of It'd the season. It made a big save too. Big, really big, big save. save. So that was a huge, huge moment for me. Um, and like you see the Southampton Palace game, that was a, another big one. But I look at West Ham in this relegation battle and I look at the next five fixtures. They didn't play this morning, mm. uh, but I look at them. They've got Liverpool, Leicester, Man City, Liverpool and Brighton to come in their next five. Yeah, their they're two games in hand don't mean anything really. They mean absolutely nothing. Now, the club, that is a huge, huge next five, five games for them and... I really feel for them because the other clubs around them have got a few nice little results that they could pick up. Um, but I, I think West Ham are in a lot of trouble after these next five games. 
this was a crazily big result for Bournemouth. They hadn't scored in something like 400 or 500 minutes uh, and hadn't won at home since November. Eddie Howe's side were just on a slippery, slippery, slippery slope downwards. Um, and Villa, you mentioned, Bridgie, in terms of character. I read somewhere this morning, this was their first win from coming from behind in the Premier League since 2013. That's a, that's a season-changing kind of tonic as well. What have you made of the dogfight, Ash? And, and, and tell us about the pressure that these teams will be under right now because, you know, you've, 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 you've walked in these shoes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's strange how it happens. It can be something that sparks you off. I mean, I was at Bradford when we, we survived in the Premier League. Uh, we were dead and buried, to be honest. We, we were down. I think we ended up staying up with the lowest ever points at 36, something like that. But with about five games to go, I think we went to Sunderland. Um, they hadn't lost at home all season. And we beat Sunderland 1-0, an absolute smash and grab. And next thing, we ended up beating Wimbledon. We beat Liverpool on the last day of the season when Liverpool needed to beat us for Champions League. And it can just be something that sparks you off. Like I say, we were we were down. Uh, morale was terrible. And it was that little win at Sunderland where we shouldn't have won, to be honest. What year was that? Uh, 99 or 2000, something like that. 2001, maybe. I think Phillips might have been up front with Niall Quinn. Um, but I think they were third or fourth Sunderland. Um, and, and we literally, like I say, we, we nicked one there um, and then it just sparks us off and it, and it can be something like that. And you look at the goal that Villa scored, you look at the character, Grealish, everybody getting involved uh, and it looked like that just might have sparked them because I thought Villa a couple of weeks ago were, were in terrible form and they looked dead to me. I would, I would have backed on Norwich going down. I thought Bournemouth would definitely go down and I thought Villa would go down and all of a sudden you see the table and just shows you what like one or two little wins can be. And it's a scramble. You've got to get to 40 points, aren't you? Villa are on 25. So all you're thinking now is five, three, four, five wins and you're safe. So they'll just be desperate and fighting for everything. And that's okay. what happens towards the end of the season. Everyone's scrapping. Can I just put something out there? We're talking about relegation battle here, yeah? So Norwich City, 17 points. I feel they've gone. Watford, 23. Bournemouth, 23. If you go up to eighth in the table, Tottenham, 31 points. Arsenal six or oh, thirty points. Sorry, the the two wins away from relegation. Does that mean that Spurs and Spurs and um, Arsenal are in this relegation battle? Well, it's that damn tight. What I mean is it that crazy? Well, it can be. Yeah, um, like you say, I've, I've mentioned it before. Sean Dyche, all he talks about forty points, forty points. Everyone's they set their sails. So season. Chelsea are safe. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you're all right at forty. But you look at the it's it's the wins. Obviously, people have got to lose. You've got to win. Uh, you know, Burnley on twenty seven. You know, they're four wins away, aren't they? Probably from from being safe. You'd like to think that the way they scrap and fight, they can get it. Norwich, obviously, we've mentioned a, a dead. I still think Villa are in a bit of trouble, although they look like they've got a bit of spirit. And, and you can pick any of them. It's so tight. It's, Brighton it's can get sucked in now. Well, 100% they can be sucked in. Yeah. Totally, totally. I mean, Aaron Moy, Matt Ryan, they've had great glimpses, but... It could be back-to-backs for Aaron Moy. <laughs> he went down with Huddersfield. He's gone to Brighton. I, I hope I'm wrong, because I really want them two boys to do well. And I, I like Brighton as a club as well. Do you think they have, I mean, Graham Potter's played some good football this year. He's been lauded for it. But right now, is it time for a bit of a stiff upper lip to see something a bit different from them? I think it is. I mean, everyone was talking about him having a great season, but all of a sudden they're in the middle of it. Um, so it just shows you how tight it can be. And those wins, you know, you're great football. Norwich play great football, don't they? They roll out the back for fun and they're in desperate trouble. Um, so sometimes you need to get back to basics. That's what Burnley spoke about at the weekend. We got back to being ourselves, reminded ourselves of what we are. You know, West Ham are going to be a little bit like that. Newcastle are showing that if, you, if you'd if you go old school that you can be okay and, and possibly safe. 
So sometimes it's, it's about balance. You can't keep rolling it out if you're getting beat every week. You've got to have the right balance. Look, you just, Bridgie, in terms of talking about Tottenham and Arsenal, but the truth is Arsenal are closer to the relegation zone than they are to the top four. That's why today's backs-to-the-ball win, uh, draw, sorry, was so important. But momentum, you mentioned that, Ash. I can't imagine what it's like. And you only have to look at Southampton. Seven wins from their last 11. This is a side that lost 9-0 not so much, not so long ago. Today, gone to Palace, who've had some fantastic results in recent week. Didn't play Danny Ings, get the win. How impressed are you with you, Bridgie, with their turnaround? I'm impressed with the manager, the way Hassan Hootl has... Um, I'm hand- impressed with the way you pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The, the way he's Hassan handled the, the situation, um, what it would have do- done to himself in his armour as a coach and as a manager and what he will have learned through that period in time because when you're not getting results... The atmosphere in the dressing room in the club changes. It can become toxic. He's handled that. He was given the, I mean, the 9-0. I, I, I can't even imagine what would have been going through the, the club at that moment in time, his job on the line. And they've turned it around. They've showed faith in him. But what he has done to galvanise them players and get them believing again to, to go and do it, I, I just think it's superb as, as a club. As a whole, they've stuck with the manager. The manager's then got a new lease of life. He's spread that into the players and they've gone... And I feel they're in a position where I thought they would have been this season with the type of calibre of players that they've got. Yeah, outstanding. On another game, a Manchester City, oh, look, they edged it at Sheffield United. Um, if there was a, When it was nil all, I thought if there's any result, Hash, this seat that was going to define this season, it would be if Sheffield United held the champions uh, at their home turf. They didn't. Sergio Aguero got the job done. But the biggest takeout here would be America Laporte's return. Huge for Manchester City. Yeah, massive. And no coincidence, they get a clean sheet. You know, we spoke earlier on about company and and how he's infectious and his attitude. Laporte is is in that mould. Um, you know, a clean sheet for Man City. They've been desperate for one. Played 78 minutes. They, did, they didn't play him for the full 90, but that'll be a huge one. Obviously, Aguero, six goals in the last three games now, has, has hit some unbelievable form. He's on the bench, come off and scores within six minutes. Um, but the scoreline, it doesn't really surprise me too much. I didn't think there'd be too many goals I think uh, Bramall Lane is the second in the in the Premier League for for goals at the actual venue. I think 24 goals have been scored at Bramall Lane this season. It's only Sellers Park that's had 22. It's a horrible place to go. Oh, it's terrible. I it's mean, that- I was Sheffield Wednesday one week. It was the uh, you know you wouldn't even you know go anywhere near Bramall Lane. You hated it. You know like, when you had to warm up. Oh, terrible. I mean, the the crowd. It- what is it? Uh, BBC. They call the hooligans. The the Blades business crew. Obviously, Blades is. Uh, the nickname you know, of them. Yeah, what what you you make out of that? It's that ground. It's that kind of ground, Dave. Just to give you an idea of when you can warm up. It's the old style ground. The fans still feel like they're basically on top of you, like a theatre. And I hate to say it, but that you're you're within gobby reach. They can actually spit on you from the height. And I'll tell you what. When you used to warm up and you'd look at the back of your jacket, and I didn't play for Chef Wed against Chef United. I played for Sunland. I used to go back and say, lads, how many have I got? <laughs> oh. it was, it's disgusting, right? honestly, but that is how tough of a place it is to go. Eh? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, them derbies were, were frightening. Uh, you'd have to go to an hotel the day before a game, even though you're only travelling, you know, 20 minutes down the road, if that. Um, you know, the whole town was in lockdown. They had to shut the bars and pubs early and the kickoffs were always early. Because that was to keep Ash out. <laughs> <laughs> you were guaranteed trouble at them games. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, if you got them two teams back in the Premier League, it'd be unbelievable. Can you tell me then, with that having spent some time in the area and, and knowing, experiencing those fans, what they would be feeling right now under Chris Wilder? To, in their wildest dreams, taking Manchester City... See what you did there. I did not mean it, actually. It sounded wonderful as it came out. <laughs> um, in their wildest dreams, pushing them all the way here in the Premier League. 
it's um, I mean nobody would expect that. Uh, you know, Chris Wilder. Um, you know, has done his apprenticeship, I suppose, at Oxford five or six years there as first team coach. He actually went to Northampton, and uh, funny thing, actually, uh, he released my son. <laughs> so I always, uh, me and my other son, I always take the Mickey out, out the eldest to say, "Oh, he's a great manager, Chris Wilder. Knows his players, <laughs> knows the rubbish, gets them out the building." So <laughs> your, he your lad go mad. <laughs> he's spewing. He hates it, but. Um, yeah, he's done well. And, you know, you see Pep Guardiola saying he's learning off Chris Wilder. I mean, what a compliment that is. And that's for the way that they are so flexible and he's doing something a little bit different at Sheffield United and to be where they are on the table. Um, you know, they could, if they have, they keep going, they get themselves in Europe, it'd be unbelievable. Then you'll see some uh, European sides tasting the old Bramall Lane. Oh, that'd be, uh, be outrageous. And the scary thing is it's not even impossible. To finish off talking about the morning's action, because it was, it was a really good good morning at Premier League we, it would be silly not to talk about Everton versus Newcastle briefly because this was a game where Carlo Ancelotti's side assume they're going to stoppage time they're 2-0 up having a having three points in the bag continue their good start under him where there were 102 seconds between goals the first time Newcastle have ever scored two in stoppage time and Florian Lejeune how about this guys he hadn't scored for 5,000 Premier League minutes he scored two in 102 seconds how good Bridgie he is now a Geordie hero. <laughs> you know, when I, when I saw this, there was two moments. You've talked about how long or the distance between the two goals. There was a moment in this game um, when Musa Kane scored and his celebration, there was so much joy, so much relief. And I'll tell you what, it took an eternity for him to get yeah. back to the to back to the centre circle to kick off. He was just embracing the moment. He was going on with it, and I think that celebration has gone into the injury time stoppages <laughs> and it's cost them the game at the end. But it was in, it was incredible game. You think Everton are two up this form that they are in, and and Newcastle scored a late goal against Chelsea, as Ash mentioned. They haven't given up the ghost. They've they're trying to stay in games. So when you're two 0 down, Steve Bruce decides to take off Joe Linton, the striker, the Brazilian striker. I still want to see his passport because hmm. he's probably the worst Brazilian I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and he's put on two defenders for the you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, Lejeune's come on and Shaw came on for Joe Linton. And yet 2-0 down, you're thinking, hang on a minute. And they've gone on to win the game, and Lejeune has scored two goals. So, you know, it just shows you what can happen if you've got that belief and a bit of confidence behind them. So good good on the Geordies. Exactly, and not many managers will do that these days because they're all obsessed with their style of play, their brand of football. He's just gone old school, get it in the mixer, and look what happens. They score two goals at the end of, end of the game with centre-halves everywhere. Brilliant. Rightio, then give us an answer. Now... That last goal happened with Jordan Pickford basically sitting in the front row of the stands. He was that deep into his goal when he made the save. So I'm just going to I'm gonna jump and ask you, you both are fitting to answer this one because Pickford's not in great form. Rashford injured, Kane injured, Sterling not as his best, Stones, we know what his kind of se- season he's had. So watching all these guys right now, Gareth Southgate will be a very worried man going into the Euros, I believe. And yeah, Injuries, form, it's not looking good for the Euros um, at this moment in time. Will Harry Kane be fit? 
Um, I'm Touch hoping, and go. hoping he is, but I remember England took Rooney to a World Cup when he was underdone and he wasn't the same player. So I would be a very, very worried man and I would be hoping that before now in the end of the season, not forget the injuries, but the form of these players picks up and Pickford, there's, mm. there's my little leading, is one of them guys. It just gives you that uh, dilemma again, doesn't it? You know, you look across the other European leagues, you know, England haven't done great uh, international tournaments for, for a while, obviously. And all the other leagues get a little winter break. They get a chance to go and have some warm weather climate or whatnot in, in, in your training, your, your, your kind of mid-season camps. And the English season is so tough, you know, so demanding, so intense. When it gets round to tournament time, everybody's on the last legs. Um, and it, and it, it kills us year after year. You know, the, the, the way England is, the way we've grown up in England, you know, Christmas, Boxing Day, you go and watch a football match. New Year's Day, you go and watch a football match. It's, it's part of the culture, I suppose. But it cost us at international level year on year. Bridgie, Marcus Babbles, Western Sydney Wanderers tenure was results-based. And it's a results industry, and he didn't get the results, and that's why it came to an end. But what I did like, um, I always loved hearing his interviews. I loved the mannerism of the man. He never threw anybody under the bus player-wise. It was always like, you know, the, the pressure's on myself, but there's not much pressure because obviously there's no relegation. He's used to leagues where there's relegation. And the departing message that he sent out with the fans is quite unique. I've never seen that done before. So all in all, like I say, it was all down to results. He had the worst records in in um, overseas managers that have come to the A-League. So it, it was inevitable at the end, I do believe. And they had a two-week window. So um, I, I did feel for him. And what I'm going to miss are his flamboyant shirts <laughs> on the sideline. Um, but uh, credit to the man, he's, he's shown his true character and what a respectful man he is in the way he's handled the situation to come out the following day with that message. Yeah, uh, obviously won't be seeing the old Peaky Blinders flat cap anymore. Um, <laughs> so that'll be a miss. Um, to me, obviously, 31 games I think he had. Uh, won only nine and, and lost 16. So that, that speaks for itself. Uh, you know, recruitment, I think, probably cost him towards the end. He, he signed... Uh, the big German striker is marquee striker. He's now gone and been replaced by Simon Cox. So, you know that that doesn't help when you when you're signing players that don't work. Um, and obviously, he, he had a he had a good run, and it, and it didn't quite work out. So uh, unfortunate for him. And it just you know it's knocked Western Sydney backwards again. Uh, it's been a long time since they've had success, and they've gone through a couple of managers now, and it's going to be a a rebuild process that they're going to have to come through before they start challenging again. Do you know what it's like? And I, I'm, I'm not putting Western Wanderers in the same category as Man United and Ferguson, but Tony Popovich, when he came in, they won the league and they're senior. They went on and won the Asian Champions League. The fans have tasted so much success. It's almost like the next few managers trying to emulate that and replicate was always going to be tough. And they went away from their, new, their old stadium. I felt they lost a lot of that... Um, you know, that fit yeah. man, the yeah. buzz. They're back at the new stadium now, which is the Bank West. Brilliant place to go. They've got to try and get something back there and spice things up. Yeah, you would have loved for them, for this season, to be full of momentum. It wasn't. And with a couple of coaching vacancies available in the A-League now, it would be very interesting to see what type of coaches, whether they're local or whether there's a big name like Babel again, the clubs go for in this really important time uh, for these clubs. Sorry, Bridgie, I'm going to ask you. Uh, you ready? Come on, then. Leeds United will... Not get promoted this season if they do not sign a striker. Okay, so there's a caveat. So there was a caveat there. That's if they don't sign a striker. If they don't sign a striker. How bad is the momentum right now? Yeah. Uh, You know what it is? It leads to massive pressure. I don't know whether the players are feeling the pressure of playing and trying to fulfil the fans' ambitions and dreams again. 
and the burden, the weight on their shoulders, is, is it just too much? But having said that, Leeds have had a bit of a stumble over Christmas. West Brom, who were leading the title by 15, have had a stumble. And Fulham and Nottingham Forest have really made a surge. So the pressure um, has been on the players, but they've been creating chances. They're still playing a decent style of football. Um, and there's still that opportunity. They're still in the mix. So I think if you get a striker and take the pressure away from Bamford, because they've only got one striker, really, uh, that, that that's a massive, massive thing. And the next three games without Calvin Phillips in that central defensive unit is another another stumbling block as well. But striker is needed. Is there a team actually thinks putting their hand up to say uh, we're going to come and, and, and take one of those automatic spots? Well, obviously, we mentioned there, um, you know, the chasers, Fulham, if you like, and Forest. Um, I think Leeds, they always kind of do this. Uh, you know, there's always been question marks on it and Belize's you know, tempo, the what he demands of the players. He doesn't like to use a big squad. He, he keeps it small because uh, uh, maybe he can't manage a big squad. I'm not too sure. So they always get tired. I think they've won one out of the last eight. Um, four points, it, they are above uh, Fulham. Um, they've lost four in the last eight. They, they're in bad form, but I don't think there's anybody that's as good as Leeds that, that can that can pip them. So I think they'll just about get over the line, if I'm being honest. Uh, can you do us a favour? Richard Bayliss from Optus, I've just had to have a heart-to-heart with him for half an hour. It was like a counselling session. I'm going to have to send him an invoice for the... I'm a good listener, Rush. What you've just said there is huge. So when you when you leave, can you just go and pick this man up? His, his belly's lower than a snake's belly, mate. He needs something. I'll have a word with him. Don't worry. Oh, dear. Very good. Now, from one extreme to the other, because Leeds United have let some chances slip. In the past, Liverpool have. This year, it doesn't look like they're going to. And we looked at this week, they had the bookies' favourites come out for the PFA Player of the Year. And eight of the 15, Ash, are Liverpool players. Mane, Alexander, Arnold, Henderson, Van Dijk, Salah, Firmino, Fabinho, Robertson. So, but, who should be the favourite for the PFA Player of the Year? To be honest, it could be any one of them. They're all, they probably all deserve it. it sounds that like daft. I think 91 points have got out of the last 93. It's outrageous the uh, the tally that they're picking up. Um, if you've got to pick one um, for the consistency at a young age, I would just tip Ale- Alexander Arnold. You know the assists he gets from a wide area. You know he's like a, a right winger who, who's incredible playing right back. And just because of his age, you know Van Dyke, we now kind of expect him to be in that mould. Henderson. You know, he's a little bit older and we know he's consistent. You know, the front three, the, the, the brilliant, we expect him to score every week. But I just think because he's managing to churn out these performances at a young age, week after week, I would just probably tip uh, Alexander-Arnold. Is it possible a player can win both awards, young player and senior player? Has that been done before? Did Michael Owen do that? Yeah, I think they can. Yeah, or Harry Keel? Yeah, I think they can. Because yeah. Alexander could clean up with both of them. Yeah, that's a good point. But I would never go for defender. Yeah, you don't. I mean, so I'm going for Marne. I'm going for Alexander Arnold to get the young one. And I'm going for Marne to get the the main I'll one. I tell you what, I I found interesting that this week uh, was Klopp's interviews about next year's African Nations Cup, yeah. where they're going to le- lose. Obviously, Marne going to lose Salah. Um, six games, I think they can lose players for. There's another one as well. Uh, they're going to lose Kieta. Yep. The yep. Uh, the midfielder. So. They're already thinking about next season. That's how much they, they obviously expect to win it this year. They're now already talking about the players are going to lose January next season. I'll tell you what, I was going to ask later on the show uh, about Timo Werner because I was really surprised to see with all the links from the uh, RB Leipzig striker to Chelsea and, and to other big clubs, all of a sudden he came out and, and then the, the build in Germany are plotting that, that he's interested in moving to, to Liverpool because he wants to link up with Jurgen Klopp and, and that German relationship there. And after that, I thought, oh, come on, you don't need another attacking weapon. Well, actually, Ash, I hadn't thought of that reason. I thought maybe it might be to go to the next level, add a high-profile bit of depth. But 
you might be onto something there. Yeah, I mean, with he's, he's already spoke about the impact of the African Nations Cup and whether that comes now into the thought plan of selling players. You know, Mane's been linked, you know, for fun with Real Madrid at a ridiculous price. And do they now think, right, this is the time to cash in because we're going to lose him for six games as long as we can find a replacement. But he's in a, a funny situation, Klopp, for me, because he doesn't want to unsettle that front three. You bring someone like Werner in or, or you know, he, he'll want to play. Uh, and then how do you manage to, to manage these superstars and, and play them when it's right and rest them when it's not? And that's the, the, the situation I think Klopp's in. You know, you don't want to upset you know, the momentum you've got by bringing a big star in and then maybe they're not playing and then all of a sudden the camp becomes a little bit unhappy. Yeah, because that's the thing. How do you improve this Liverpool side? And you can't touch that front three, but you want to have someone uh, ready to go and ready to fight if one of them goes down. So really interesting stuff. And, and I'm watching that transfer rumour with, with real interest. Oh, I'll tell you a club that wouldn't mind him, Bridgie. If Tottenham do not sign a striker in January, Jose Mourinho will... Not qualify for the Europa League. Play himself. <laughs> <laughs> in goal <laughs> they're struggling aren't they yeah, in, in that department he, he needs someone that's for sure I, I think it could cost them Champions League it could cost them Europa League and yeah it, it, it's a massive impact on Harry Kane I think you saw the frustration of the whole team when Deli Ali hit the chair last week mm. in frustration it wasn't that Mourinho it was the chances that they squandered and how much they're actually missing a man that can play with his back to goal to link in and set other players up so big talk about Urente coming back is that right yeah but I saw that denied though I saw denied, that yeah, sort of that like right? that yeah I got quite excited by that because I just feel like they need somebody that can hold the ball up they've got players that can run the opposite way but with Mourinho's tactics when it was Pochettino and you're not using Harry Kane and Deli Alli to the maximum because it's a bit more playing out um, and balls to feet Mourinho his initial few games Deli Alli being an unbelievable because he was timing his runs off Harry Kane's mm. flick-ons and Harry Kane's timing Without that now, the other the game the other day, nobody was winning headers. Mm. The long ball was going there and they couldn't win anything. They weren't winning the second ball. So they need a big target man if they're going to play Mourinho style. Yeah, interesting stuff. Very, very interesting stuff. Tottenham in action on Thursday, if you're listening to us on Wednesday, of course. 6.30am hosting Norwich. And we talked about Liverpool before. They play Wolves on Friday morning at 7am. He said what? On Thursday morning, we also have Manchester United against Burnley, 7.15am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And I say he said, what about Gary Neville after the weekend defeat to Liverpool, who called for Ed Woodward's head? Uh, He said, I saw a statistic two weeks ago that United have the second highest wage bill in the world, and that's the squad they've got. It's unforgivable. It really is. And in a really articulate rant, so to speak, he went on to lay the finger of blame at Woodward and everything wrong at the club. So, Ash, you know the club very, very, very well. Um, your analysis of how they got to a situation where they are on another planet to Liverpool. Yeah, I think obviously they're still uh, mopping up or cleaning up the mess from the from the previous managers. I know, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've listened to uh, an interview from Ed Woodward not not so long back, and um, what he said was the big root of all the cause at Man United was. Ferguson was unbelievable. Everybody knows that. Uh, but Ferguson knew everybody. Uh, he had, you know, he, the due diligence he could do about signing players. You know, he can go down to what colour underwear they're wearing, if you like. You know, he was that intense. Um, and they, he had full control. And the mistakes they made was after Ferguson. The managers that came in, they gave them for full control, but they couldn't do the job like Ferguson did. So Van Gaal spends 450-odd million, gets loads wrong. Mourinho spends 250-odd million, gets loads wrong. Funnily enough, I think David Moyes only spent about 90 million, so he didn't make too many mistakes. But it was the damage 
of what's gone before, which is what's affecting Solskjaer. He's cleaning it up. For me, you know, he's signed Maguire, a success. He signed Wan-Bissaka, a success. He signed Dan James, a success. So there's three good signings. So you can only judge him on that. He needs time to get rid of the crap like he's done with Lukaku and, and Sanchez and just keep replacing. So it's going to take time. So for Gary Neville to hammer Ed Woodward, I think since Solskjaer's come in, it's been fine. Um, obviously, I think with frustration, Gary Neville will be the, the, the saga that's going on with Bruno Fernandes. But you've got to respect that these have agents. Agents are thinking, my player's going to Man United. They just, you know, request ridiculous money. And, and Man United is trying to control this, you know, astronomical wage bill from the damage they've had before where there was no rains. And I've got to say, any man with a name like Ed Woodward, that sounds like a fart in the bath. He's not hes not the man for me to run my football club. So I agree with what Ash is saying. The damage was done prior to that, and the wage bill is ridiculous when you consider some of what what the players or what that squad is now. Mm. But like he says, Sanchez and Lukaku, they're not there anymore, but they're still on the wage, they're still on the wage bill. Um, and the club have got a lot of cleaning out to do. I mean, sure, what, 160 well, as a left-back? You've that, got the young boy coming through. That's the, the big problem. You, you get your... Lukaku's that come in on three, four hundred grand a week, Sanchez, and that drives everything underneath you up. Mm. Because when you're renewing at Luke Shaw or when you're renewing a Smalling or a, or a Jones or anybody like that, they're like, hang on a minute, someone's on three, four hundred here. My player's on 60. Now you've got to give them at least 120, mm. 160. So it drives everything up underneath. And that's it's it's the compounded wage bill for the, the big, big signs have made for everything underneath that's, that's affecting them at the minute. And it allows a club like Sporting in Portugal to hold them at ransom over Bruno Fernandes because they know what United can pay and they know how desperate they are. Well, the first thing his agent will do will phone Lukaku's agent or Pogba's agent and go, what's he on? And everybody knows what everyone's on. And hang on a minute, Lukaku's on this. What, yeah. what contract? Yeah, Pogba's on this. So my play, if you're telling me my play is worth 50, 60 million, then hang on a minute, I'm, he's got to be in comparison with the other big wages at the club. Now, actually, I get the sense that you think the lampard Solskjaer debate's been sort of skewed uh, hysterically, sort of dis- disproportionately. Um, right now, there's a lot of commentary going, it's not Solskjaer's fault, he's just not the right man for it. Um, they can only play on the counter-attack, they can't play uh, when teams sit back. The, wh- what's your take on that, in that, um, that he deserves, that he is the man to take the club forward? Well, you can only play with what you've got. Um, you know, if you if you've got Pogba in the team, then all of a sudden you can change your style. Um, you know, he needs another five or six top quality players. He's got young lads. He's got good potential. He's got a good spirit. He's got good character. He's got honest working staff that do a, do a great job. But he, he needs time to to amend the rest. For me, if you get rid of him, you're going backwards again because then there's another. Uh, wave coming through you've got to give him time to build and and you know for me he is the right man for the job and you have to judge him on his signings because recruitment's a, a huge part of football so interesting to see how this plays out and obviously it was fitting that uh, Liverpool picked them the way they did and then we saw Allison in his celebration with Salah on a week where there's a lot of reports about how Liverpool have about to go past them in off field status as well in terms of revenues and global stature so how long this changing of the guard lasts for will be so fascinating to see a couple of transfers to touch on now as we head towards the end of the podcast we touched on Timo Werner before what about to you Bridgie Inter Milan paying 20 million euros for Christian Eriksen in January he's available for free in a couple of months time that's a win well, it's a win if he's available for free but then he comes into the Bosman and he can name his price on salary so it doesn't become who's going to be the highest bidder for the football club. Spurs lose out because they get no money. He signs an embosment for X amount. So if they can get a deal where he wants to go somewhere that he's happy with, 
Spurs can get some money out of this because they're going to lose him for nothing. Um, and Ericsson runs the risk of getting injured between now and the end of the season mm. when you go to that Bosman situation. So I think it's a win-win for everybody and for Inter Milan, it's a steal. Um, but for Ericsson, the fans have turned, you know, mm. the noise going, no, and first time I've heard a little bit of animosity aimed towards him. So I think the sooner it happens, the better for everybody involved. Yeah, because it, it, if it stays any longer, it could tarnish his legacy. How do you look back on Christian Ericsson, the Tottenham player? Just a beautiful player. I mean, I, I love players that entertain and excite. And I'm, I'm a Spurs boy because of Chris Waddle and Glenn Hoddle and Paul Gascoigne. Ericsson came in. He's a player that can unlock a door. When he's got the ball at his feet, he's a, he's a, a player's dream around him because he can have his head down, but he still sees a pass. When he gets his head up, he's dangerous long. And it's, I think it's been an, an amazing achievement what he has done there. And he's overstayed his welcome. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that he needs to move on to, to get himself going again. As should Edison Cavani, Paris Saint-Germain striker, who's sort of fallen behind Mario Cardi, uh, Angel Di Maria, Neymar, Mbappe in, in Paris. Where where should he go? And should he go? And where should he go? Well, you look at him as a character and his style, and he's he looks to me like he's suited for the Premier League. You know, there's not a lot of South Americans that can come over and do well, but with the Uruguayans, they have this desire. They have you know, like a, 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 you know, a Suarez, if you like, where they're, they're desperate to do well. They fight and scrap tooth and nail for everything. Tooth and nail Suarez, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> always get one in. Always well get done, one in. well done. And then uh, you look at his stats, unbelievable. I think 292 games and 198 goals or something like that. You know, 116 um, appearances for Uruguay with 50-odd goals. So he's a proven goal scorer. He's a target man. He's a number nine. That they're a little bit of a dying trade these days. Someone that likes to, to get up close and physical and hold the ball up. So for me... You know, if you want to, if it was me and I was Cavani, I see maybe a bit biased. I see English Premier League is the best league in the world, and I'll be saying I want to go and test myself in the best, and and go and have a go in England, a, a different you know change of environment. United, Chelsea, Chelsea, I think. Dare I say Tottenham till the end of the year? <laughs> I think all three need to be fighting hammer and tong yeah. to get him. And Chelsea are the are the leaders in the rumor in the rumor pack for whatever you believe that for. Oh, he's a good yarn. Some fun to end off with after Ben Chuel and Hamza Chowdhury were fined by their Leicester City teammates for turning up late for a training session last week. Now, Brendan Rodgers played it down. There wasn't much in it, but that sort of talked to the culture that he's trying to set up at the club. But I was wondering, guys, what was the most random punishment you copped from your colleagues or your club during your career? I've had a few, to be honest. Um, <laughs> That's why I let you go first. Yeah, he's got about involved. six to it's, get off his chest. It's why I slipped this one in this week. I was involved a couple of drinks normally. Uh, <laughs> I was captain at most clubs I went to. Um, I remember once I was at Sheffield Wednesday and uh, Terry Orrith um, uh, took over. He was a, a assistant manager to uh, Paul Jewell and an assistant to... Um, I can't remember his name, but anyway, he takes over. He was over. that good, was he? <laughs> yeah. No, Terry. So Terry takes over, and the first thing he does, I think we get B at home, and he goes, right, lads, tomorrow morning, Sunday, 10 o'clock, come to the club, you're not bringing your boots, and we're going away for three days. So he takes us to the Pretzel Priory uh, Hotel in Derby, and we've got three days on the lash, to be honest, and uh, no boots, no training, golf, whatever you want. So we pretended that every day it was someone stag do. So on the Sunday, someone was pretending to get married Monday, and then it came to Tuesday, and by this day, we've had three days totally on the drink before we go back to the, the club. And um, for some unknown reason, well, not unknown reason, I'm at four o'clock in the morning running around spraying everyone with a fire extinguisher, the big foam fire extinguishers. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it because we had a, a lad called Danny Mannix, who's, um, you know, obviously not racist, but a black lad is the, is the only way I can say that. Um, he was a top lad and I've ended up... Th- 
fully covering him in foam and all you can see is just like this white ghost running around <laughs> full with foam and then next thing I've gone into my shower laughing and I just hear Terry oh, so he's been woken up by the hotel what room's Westwood in? Because he knows it's me. He comes steaming into my room. I'm in the shower, nothing on. He tries to punch me in the shower. And then he goes, right, that's it. Nine o'clock tomorrow morning, everybody back on the bus. So we've had to go get Gaffer, on the Gaffer tried to punch you. <laughs> <laughs> so he's nine o'clock on the bus. We go back to Sheffield Wednesday Hillsborough. He gets us. He did this old school run called Every Line and Back. So you get on the pitch, you're on the baseline, and you have to run every line and back. You have to keep doing them. And he says, we're not stopping until he is sick. And I, I had to physically be sick before everyone was allowed to stop running. So I'm drinking blackcurrant juice thinking, just run yourself into the ground. And after about 20 minutes, I've thrown up everywhere and he goes, right, that's it, get in. And Bear in mind. That was the punishment. Bear in mind, the players must have been devastated because Ash was fit and he can still run to this day. So <laughs> you would have rather it was one of the fat lads because he wouldn't have been running as long. I've got to toughen up the regime here after hearing some of these stories. Jeez, okay, Bridgie. I'm going to tell you one about a form, not with involving me, but kind of, and then I'll tell you one when I got fined, but the form or the fire extinguisher was done in Marbella by a player called Michael Gray and Lee Clark. And I was just a young kid. We got promoted to the Premier League and the club and the manager, Peter Reid, decided to take us away on an end-of-season trip. That was part of the bonus. So we went away, and obviously the two senior lads have got carried away with the, with the fire extinguisher. So Peter Reid's fine to the players was you can either t- pay two weeks wages or you can take us out for a meal so you could see the lads that were doing the maths and they went you know what it is you can take us out for a meal because we feel it'll be a lot cheaper than two weeks wages so anyway Peter Reid said to the lads he got everybody and he said right we are going to smash these two so I don't care if you don't eat lobster you're going to have it I don't care if you don't drink champagne you're going to buy the most expensive on the menu so I'm, a, I'm an 18 year old kid and I'm First year, you know, I've been allowed to get it, get on the drink with the boys, and I'm thinking, this is brilliant. I tell you what, I was eating lobster and champagne like it was going out of fashion, and Mickey Gray to this day still says that I'm an absolute arsehole <laughs> for using and abusing it. And there was a couple of lobsters that he actually ordered and just threw them on the floor just because I knew Mickey was paying. <laughs> so it was all to do with the um, the fire extinguishing moment. And yeah, another one involving yourself. Do yeah. we go there? Yeah, well, do you want to? Up to you. Yeah, I don't mind. Oh. I always got asked by one of the assistant coaches, Dennis Booth. I'll never forget. He always used to say to me, he had a terrible pair of football boots, right? They had holes in them, bless him. And he used to see me getting the Adidas um, Predators delivered um, at Carlisle. And they would come, I'd get two or three boxes, you know, if I needed them once a month. (laughs) Dennis would say, Bridgie, have you got any shit football boots that you can give me? Any old ones? You know, I need some shit ones. I was like, yeah, Dennis. I'll, I'll get you some. I kept forgetting. I was giving them to the apprentices and the boot boys and every time I was changing them. And then he'd come in the next month. Bridgie, you got another box. I've seen the delivery. Have you got any more shit boots? So, <laughs> so I got the point this day. I felt really sorry. So what I did this day, I brought in, I took my dog for a walk in the morning. I collected the um, the dog poo <laughs> in a bag and I took it to the training ground and I put it in a pair of my old football boots and I went and I deli- delivered it into the coaches, well, the dressing room that they got changed in. And um, Dennis wasn't in this day, and it was the gaffer Greg Abbott came in, and the smell of the dressing room was absolutely disgusting. There was a shitty pair of boots that I left for Dennis, but it was actually in the gaffer's spot, Greg Abbott. And, yeah, I got fined for stinking out the whole of um, Carlisle, Brunton Park's back corridors because we got changed in the dressing room, and that cost me two weeks' wages as well. 
So there you go. So just links in with his stinking performance. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't top that. And on that note, that's a stinking end to this podcast. But it was a great podcast, gents. Thank you so much for coming in. We had a great time. Good chat. And there's still uh, four more Premier League games for you guys to enjoy if you're listening to this on your commute home of a Wednesday. Otherwise, it's a weekend off from the Premier League this weekend. And then it all ramps up again next week on Optus Sport. So as ever, until the next Gagan Pod, enjoy your football.